great. All right. So, Aaron, take us away. Start us off on the time timer. So today How? we're going to be talking about... <laughs> you ready for me? No. Yes. <laughs> Steven, yes. you're failing already, and we're supposed to be talking about <laughs> failing forward. You're already <laughs> failing on this podcast. <laughs> yes. And you see what I mean? You got to be crazy. It's too late to be sane. You got to go full tilt, Bozo. Because you're only given a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. From me to you, don't ever lose that, because it keeps you alive. Today we're going to be talking about failing forward. Now, this is an interesting topic. It's kind of, let's think about it this way. We all experience certain kinds of failures and setbacks in our lives. And what we do with them defines who we ultimately become or what kind of successes we can attain. And what I want to talk about today, and what I want us to have kind of a bit of a debate about today, is how much of how we deal with failures and the mindsets we go into certain things with, whether it's a career or academics or other pursuits, how much that affects what we end up being able to accomplish in our ultimate rise in whatever domain it is versus what our natural inborn capabilities, talents, characteristics play in, what those have to do with it. So failing forward is about looking at failure from a certain perspective, looking at it from this perspective of if I fail and we all fail sometimes, do I let this failure define me and become part of my character? Or do I look at failure as, what's the learning opportunity here? How can I grow from this? So what are, you, what are your thoughts about this concept of failure and success? I was very lucky to grow up or find my way into the art world like the, the heart of the art world. And rather ironically, and perhaps perversely, the art world is all about failure. Um, and it's one of the few places or one of the few um, arenas that I've found celebrates failure more regularly than perhaps any other arena in the uh, human species because we believe about the process, right? Musicians, performers, comedians, it's all about the process. And the process is somehow more fascinating to us when it's when considered in the art world, the entertainment world, than it is in, for instance, the athletics world or the scholastic world, the scientific world. In the arts world, we celebrate with interviews and behind the scenes and E2 Hollywood's behind the music, you know, or VH1's behind the music. The we expose. celebrate the journey you know that this band took or that this guy or this woman took whereas in the world of athletics the world of science the world of oh my god economy the world of money especially there seems to be this really strong and obsessive results oriented driven culture right. where we don't care so much about how that person that organization that group that scientist that athlete that businessman or woman got to that point um we care way more about the what point they what they've the, accomplished what they've become did they break a yeah. world record do are they, have they a million dollars are yeah are they the richest man or woman in the world billionaire whatever you know we we don't care about you know for instance the other day i looked up the airbnb co-founders mm -hmm. and it was kind of out of spite. Like I was having a conversation about Snapchat and Airbnb and Twitter and all this stuff and who started them and these young kids in college who end up making billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, two guys from RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, created Airbnb and are worth $3.4 billion each. Mm. Now, I cannot, I cannot tell you right now how they created Airbnb. I know that they liked camping and that was where the idea came from was hitchhiking and camping. It started as a as a very small site and yeah. it was about him 
renting out this air mattress right know, or them renting out this air mattress in their house to some people when they come to visit and they had this idea of well you know maybe other people can do that um but do you know when they became an llc I, do you I don't know when, I don't know the specifics, but I do you know which professor gave them the idea for this, that, and the other? Do you know what taxes they pay? Whatever we don't we don't know the process of how Airbnb went from that site with an air mattress to both of them being worth three and a half billion dollars each. Well, but if you we want to know, know about now, if you want to know about the process, there is an interesting NPR episode. Oh, okay, great, goes I mean, great. Into that. But, but great. Your but point the, is, now we're talking about fringe <laughs> movements to understand how things come to be. But by and large. That, ex that, that action that I took is indicative of a results-oriented culture. I was driven to find out how much they're worth now and where they went to college, and that's it. Like, I just and, wanted and to like, know. And, like, somehow that that meant that you're going to be able to make this leap in yeah. your cognitive yep. appraisal of them. of like, oh, well, obviously, well, they went to this school, and then, yeah. you know, five years later, well, of course, that was a trajectory that was natural and inevitable. And that's... You know that's part of this mythology that we right. have in our in our culture in our society right now. That okay, you go to a good school, you get a degree, then you, you get you land a job, and then you know it's kind of like one thing follows the next. Right. We the idea that there's any track, that there's any railroad track that you take and you go from station to station until you're successful. And, and that's that just there's how it no works. setbacks, failures. It just seems like right. it's seamless for some people. Now, and I think social media contributes to this because especially kids in this day and age, they see their friends, they see their neighbors, they see other people, and they only post the good things. People yep. don't like to post a lot of the negative stuff or, you know, how their vacation went wrong. <laughs> it's yeah, like, no, oh, exactly. The best yeah. vacation here's the, ever. Could you imagine? Here's that fight so mom amazing. and dad had on Tuesday. Like, you know, that like those My, kids are like at the beach in Mexico, but like instead all their Instagram photos are mom and dad fighting again. My brother put sand in my drink. I hate him. You know, like, here's sand like in my drink again. Look, yeah, look, yeah, exactly. Here's five photos of sand in my drink in a collage I just made. Hashtag, hashtag sibs. <laughs> but yeah, that's like, that's not reality. That's no, we not filter the all the positive. And we think that everything, because we see it as this, this seemingly effortless kind of action um, to get to the results. We yeah. see it from the outside, from this bird's eye view. We might see it on TV, like with sports. We might see a, a sports player, an Olympian, just flawlessly or, or almost effortlessly going through certain movements or motions or techniques that took years and years of dedicated hard work, practice, day in and day out, yeah. grueling types of coaching and routines and specialties, special diets, all sorts of stuff that goes into that athlete's performance. But we don't see that. And because we don't experience it, because we don't know that process, right? as a culture, we tend to just assume and, and think that that process must have just been due to that person's natural, God-given abilities, the stuff that they're born with, and those traits that make them special. And that's a, and that's a problem because when we try something, so like for instance, in, in a lot of cultures around the world, especially in our culture, you're kind of geared towards certain things. You're an artist, you're a singer, you're an actor. You're told these things by some kind of adult figure in your life. Some adult somewhere, whether it's a teacher, a parent, someone. Or you're an engineer, you're a soccer player, you're a... Right, you're good at yeah. math, you're good at You're going to be political scientist, you're a historian, you're a doctor, whatever, but you're a lawyer. But we're in that direction, right. usually, typically, from some adult figure. And then we're also told competing messages from adult figures that say, mm, you know, when you tried singing, you didn't sound the best, so you probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the element of how subtle commentary from, from competing authoritative figures or an authoritative figure can just close a door, like really oh. slam a door shut where you might have you gone somewhere with that. Yeah. Like just... The idea that, I mean, it's really insidious if it's the idea between one and two. Like, this is the best singer in your class, and it's like all 15-year-olds. It's like, she's the best singer. He's good, but she's the best. And the, the idea that, that that 
subtle difference in number one and number two in a class of 30, number two may never pursue singing. Right. And because and they've been told, eh, you're, you're good, but she's the best. Exactly. That closes that door so yeah. early and it just shuts it down in that child's mind. Where, they where think, statistically, well, the top five are probably could be all, like, all really succeed, successful, you know what and, I'm saying? Like, just but it doesn't, stats. The, the point is it doesn't matter where you start. Right, right. I agree. The point is where you end up and yeah. how you get there. Now, people think, well, because someone got to this level of success, this pinnacle of success, that must mean, mean that they started ahead of everyone else. And that is not the case. When you look at so many stories and biographies of sports athletes, actors, musicians, whoever it is, and you look at their trajectory, a lot of times they had some pretty serious setbacks or they even had people that told them not to do it. Mm -hmm. They just said, you suck. You're not any good. You're never going to make it. And sometimes... Yeah. It was even those messages, those failures, those moments of not getting the role, not getting the addition, being kicked off the team or not selected. Those things were the things that pushed them and motivated them. Like, for instance, Michael Jordan not getting selected for his bas high school basketball team. He got cut right. from the team. <laughs> right? Einstein being told in college that he was no good at physics and, and he wasn't any good at math, so he should just give it up. Yeah. What if what if they would have listened to these things? What if those yeah. individuals would have just taken that on? Now, there's actually like some cultures in in Africa, there's some tribes in Africa that everybody is taught to sing because it's a part of just their upbringing. And it's Oh, expected. right, of course. So there's a cultural angle too. So like very western, it it is very western culture of us to categorize everyone so specifically. Like we have such, you know, like Baskin Robbins 31 flavors. Mm -hmm. We have like the United States 2000 flavors of of what you are, like yeah. uh, of self-definition, who, who you who you are, right? And, and who defines I, I, who you are. Is yeah, I love that you? observation that there are cultures that refute entire vocations. Yeah. Like we, we are like, you're a singer, you're not. And then there's a culture in Africa that's like, we all sing. Yeah. And guess what happens? Everybody can sing. Because <laughs> they've, they've, they've been taught from like age right. one, and, and zero. Like until, Mozart, yeah. for instance, was said to have had this great ability to have perfect pitch. He could listen to a song or listen to a note yeah. and know exactly what note it was and hear it yeah. on the piano. And the research has shown that perfect pitch is not something that's magical and like, no. oh, well, only a genius has that because oh, Mozart was just obviously a genius. No, he was taught from an early age and it wasn't the the thing that was done in the From times. his father, the musician. His father, the musician, did that with him. And, and there are entire cultures, on. there are entire cultures that refute this fact now because we have found that, you know, a lot of people will say, maybe even crassly, like Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, like, musicians right whether it's um piano violin cello etc like you know well oh they're asian so blah blah, blah. but that's so belittling of this it's fascinating culture it's a stereotype but there's a fascinating cultural fact here that people are overstepping those cultures have languages in which pitch is a factor of how you communicate exactly. and so you tones you have to differentiate, and you have on to differentiate ba basis for those for, languages. In places like some, in some parts of Thailand, where di some dialects, the word for Daisy, which is a st I learned this from a, a teacher in high school, because her name was Daisy, but if you inflect it incorrectly, it roughly translates to a slang word for prostitute, like flower. <laughs> so her name was I'm Daisy, but if you said oh, Daisy, Daisy, <laughs> Daisy, right? Like there are different ways you say the word, whereas in English or Germanic languages, we just have. Daisy, right? Right. They have five, six, seven inflections of that word of those characters, and it means it goes from Daisy to generic flower to prostitute. And right. if you don't introduce yourself correctly, so, so these kids have to yeah. understand tone. They're exposed to it early on, and Many early more enough, of them have perfect pitch. Exactly, and that's that's the point: is what you practice ends up being what you're good at, what you can do. Oh, I love the fact that that's also not born. No. That that also separates us immediately from this idea of natural talent versus work, practiced talent, earned talent, right? They yeah. weren't born with perfect pitch. They just all were trained into perfect pitch out of necessity. Yeah, and there's a, there's a TEDx talk that's kind of about this. I forget the guy that did it, but there's a talk, and we can link to it later, but there's a talk that it, it, 
the guy basically says like you can learn anything in 20 hours mm. and um his point where i don't know if you can learn everything in 20 hours but the point is correct which is technique and practice dedicated diligent practice as anders erickson pointed out who came up with the 10,000 hour rule that max malcolm gladwell popularized in anders er- anders erickson's research he points out that actually it's the diligent practice of any one type of, of activity that is focused on intentionally targeting certain types of, of techniques, methods, mental models, something very specific about that that helps someone improve incrementally. And right. by doing that for a lot of hours, that's how you become an expert. But most people, they stop as soon as something gets hard. Their right. their mental state gets in the way. They start getting, start thinking about, ah, I just must not be good enough, or comparing themselves to someone else. Yeah, and saying, well, why does this kid? Why are they able to get it so much easier than I am? I must right. be horrible. And they give up instead of looking at it like, well, what is it that I am not doing or understanding, and and what would help improve this one technique? What kind of skill do I need yeah. to work on? And to, and to reiterate, this goes for everything from essay writing to fishing to Olympic snowboarding to anything, crunching anything numbers. You wanna, anything you want to get good any at. Any vocation. Any, anything any, yeah. you want to get better at yeah. or become good at. Oh, yeah. Personal skills, personal traits, anything. Work towards it. Figure out what the fundamental skills, techniques, aspects of doing that and build a certain mental model, build a certain muscle memory about it and conceptualize that process well. Mm-hmm. If you get that right, then you're much more likely to be able to practice those skills diligently and then attain some kind of competency, if not greatness, if you practice it diligently enough and dedicate yourself diligently enough. Absolutely. So we've established something that is that is uh, um, widely pricking up traction, which is cool. The, the um, Anders Ericsson then funneled by Malcolm Gladwell, this 10,000 yes. hours rule, right? It, which is spreading like wildfire in a good way. We've established what it takes to master something. Let's dial it back and talk personally about failing, about what we learn from failure, how failure is, is integral to yes. attaining a master level of ability. So failures happen early on, right? That first time you're told by that teacher, you're not great at this. Right. Or maybe you shouldn't do this. Or you're not picked for the team. Mm-hmm. How do we internalize that? How do we deal with that failure? And what we're arguing here today is really how to fail forward. How to not fail back where it sets you back or you give up. Right. Or you, you stop, cease that activity, move on to the next thing. Because we know we ADHDers like to be really involved and really interested in something for a short amount of time. And then sometimes when it gets hard, or when, it, when we reach that one point where it takes some extra effort or we're not finding as much growth opportunities we used to, mm. when it takes, you know, we might have like risen very uh, fast mm. in the trajectory and then at some point it's a lot slower. You hit right, no, no, right. That's a great, the, the, uh, to consolidate that a bit, it's that feeling of, wow, I'm learning a lot. Like, you know, it's that there, there's a section of time where you learn that 20 hours you're talking about, like yes. the technique. It's very easy to teach someone the rules. To get it, good. Right. To, good get, to get good, but to then get great, to, right. tra- to, to evolve from that stage takes the, so much longer and the steps are incremental. They're exactly. tiny. The gulf between good and great is a lot is a lot larger than yeah. the gulf between a novice and good or 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 zero understanding right. and, and competent, competent. <laughs> yeah so that one might be like this much and then yeah. competent to good might be this much and then right. good to great might be up here <laughs> out of the screen off the screen yeah where yeah. that's where that because the first 10, one takes a day the second one takes some time weeks a month two months the third one takes your life takes 10 years takes 10 to 15 to 20 years daily practice yeah so so more failing forward yeah 
so what are some what are some failures or setbacks that you've had in your life where you've had that that opportunity to either give up or continue on right um i'd say two facets in high school uh middle school into high school i one liked to give chapel talks we went i went to a religious school we went to chapel every morning extended church on wednesdays and on monday tuesday thursday fridays students could but rarely took the opportunity speak if they wanted to we could actually give the homily i think is what you call it right um clearly i didn't carry the religion after all after high school but um students but the speaking were thing, you were really interested the speaking thing it, it it stuck so um students could if they wanted to speak but just no one did it's high school it's awkward it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. and there's so many reasons why you wouldn't get up and and be vulnerable like that in front of your peers and i went to a small private high school so everyone knows everyone and um, I had a habit already of embarrassing myself publicly. So it didn't seem like that much of a stretch to get up and speak my truth in front of my classmates. And it was also a, it was a form of self-expression and I wanted to, I, I, want, I was I was excited by it, right? So first was the, the impulse and the zeal for getting up in front of people and performing. But there were many of those. I gave like somewhere between five and eight and over the period of sophomore to senior year what in high happened? school. And some failed. Some were embarrassing. There was one called Word Vomit, which was an entire speech about gossiping, essentially. And wouldn't you know it, I'm 26 years old and I love gossip. <laughs> but when, but in high school, I gave this huge Joan of Arcian, like, you know, we should stop gossiping. I call it Word Vomit. You know, it's just nastiness. What I was really picking at, what I was really picking at was behind people's back, mean high school bullshit you know and and how it, it's such a negative it has such a negative affect on the, the community but the way it came out was like good goody two shoes like rule follower it made me sound like the biggest freaking nerd in my class without question and it occurred to me halfway through the talk i was like wow i sound really lame right now and it didn't help that after the talk all of the teachers came up and they're like that was so sweet like what you said was so good Steven. like yes like yeah you guys should stop bullying each other and all the students are like teachers pet what a what a loser and um but but that reaction i remember one teacher in particular really intimidating guy came up to me and said uh and he was very curt he said tanti your uh talk today in chapel i was like yeah he said you had some good ideas in there. You had some good ideas in there. I think somebody should say, like, I'm essentially he's like, I'm happy someone said it, right? And I, I'll never forget that little passing in the cafeteria where all the students were like, you know, that was awkward. But this one guy was like, someone had to say it. And whether or not you got your feelings hurt or it was embarrassing, I'm proud of you for saying it. And that that one interaction drove me to give more talks in spite of embarrassment and social social outcast right and the same was true for theater i did theater all four years of high school and received in dallas texas in a very southern libertarian conservative state uh and that was it's not it's not really if you're not at an arts magnet it's not perceived very highly or even at all like your fellow private high school students are all studying engineering and math and science and history to try and get into that you know that super competitive college they don't really give you the time of day as an as a actor or a painter or a musician so Were you ever told not to do acting often often by teachers and students um especially at a, a you know this is not to to poo poo stem right um science technology engineering and math, engineering and math yeah. um or stem schools but because like, a side effect of, of our school being a stem school uh, a hard and fast stem school it it was looked down upon acting in you know playing an instrument in band if you were a really good musician like a guitar player or a violinist or whatever that was separate almost from taking classes at school you know that was oh he's really good at the piano or she's really good at the violin right but and in school you were picked on you know i i say this knowing full well was the sound the uncomfortable but i was referred to as a theater fag which is a very pejorative 
thing and not only by fellow classmates some unnamed adults referred to me and others in the drama department as this usually jokingly it was very like haha yeah theater fag but that's that's in, at this age if i could go back in time as a 26 year old me and and like grab that kid by the shoulder who said that and be like you're that's no like you're that's in offensive. time out that is offensive but at the time you just kind of like sheepishly take it and well, move on but i took it as like i'm gonna prove my like you know what screw that kid like he does he or she doesn't see what i see and that's okay i yeah. i'm i love this thing i'm gonna keep doing it were there any other failures or maybe something you gave up because someone told you? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I beat myself up to this day, um, giving up, not giving up. I didn't give up, but I, I, I'm about as close as you can get to quitting something without having officially quit it. And that's playing the drums. So when I was in middle school and high school, I played, I, I my family, everyone thought I was going to be a musician. And that's where I was. I was already looking at, at music schools for college, my freshman, sophomore year. But at the same time, I found theater or theater found me, however romantic you want to get about it. And very quickly, I stopped playing as much music. I was in a garage band at the time and we played until I was a senior in high school, like battle the bands and stuff. But I was practicing when I was in middle school and freshman, sophomore year of high school, I practiced four hours a day, every day playing the drums. And I was a fairly competent, even I'd say not great, but above good, like just above good, solid jazz funk drummer, not great. And um, I, by the time I got to college, I was playing super less because I was going to drama school and I wasn't going to music school anymore. But I would play on occasion at a jazz club here and there over the four years, maybe five times over four years. And then by the time I got to New York, my drum kit was down to just a little studio, like plinky plunky kit. It was like a percussion kit. I still have it here in LA, but I don't play. I haven't played my drum kit in years. And that hurts every time I go to a concert. I go to a lot, I go to a lot of concerts. I love live music and every single one, every single one, there is a moment where I wish very passionately that I was up there on the stage playing the drums. Okay. So I'll, um, I think we can add 10 or so. Yeah. Well, I'll suggest let's do 10 minutes. I'll go Great. through some of my stories. Great. Um, and, to wrap that up, like uh, to include, like to button that, essentially, the saving grace was that even though I I've had to say bye bye for some time to that profession, that's not a game ender. That's not that's my life didn't end. I just did someone path. tell you not to do it? How did I mean? That's what I was getting at. Is like did was it like you shouldn't do that? Yeah, that was something you were good at. My. Father, as well as others, I'll point to my dad, definitely very dry or, or you'll help me figure this out, but like more like not rational, but almost mathematic in his. Here, can, correct me if I'm wrong. Let me, let me take a step at this. Yeah. Was it like, oh, Steven, you can be anything you want to be. And that's great. It's awesome to have a hobby. And oh, you're so good at, at drumming. But then once it got serious, once it became, you know, you're looking at schools and now it's like, you know, you're entering into this next phase of thinking about something serious. Was it at that point where it was kind of just like, well, all right, you know, that was a fun thing to do, but exactly let's that. look more realistically exactly and that. pick a career that might make some money here. You know what I'm saying? Exactly that. And I have yeah. a similar story. Go for it. Um, when I was entering into college. Wait, you, <laughs> an ADHDer, and my partner in Attention Different have a story similar to mine? Yeah. About failing forward? <laughs> I have actually a bunch. <laughs> but, Go uh, on. <laughs> when I was entering into college, I was told growing up, right, my art was my thing. So I was going to be an artist. And, and I think this is something about our generation, the millennial kind of generation, too that uh, oftentimes our parents said, 
hey, you can be anything, honey. You can mm -hmm. do whatever you want, and oh, you're so great, and you'll be this, and you'll be that. You'll be an astronaut. You'll be a doctor. You'll the be special an generation. Yeah, you're so special. But the then when it comes down to it, it was like, oh, well, mm, you know, let's pick something else. So I basically went into college thinking, okay, I'm going to be an artist because I've been mm. thinking about that for years and years since I was like five years old. And then as soon as I went to college, I could tell I got the not so subtle message from my father that was, you know, he's not a bad guy or anything, but he basically kind of was like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Maybe you should think about something else. You know, artists don't make that much money. It was like that kind of discussion. Mm. And I think that that kind of took the wind out of my sails, to tell you the truth, because I... It, I internalized that message. I, I heard that, and I think I didn't quite take art school as seriously or think of it even as a profession or really Bummer. explore whether or not there was a possibility there because I didn't think, how do you make money from this or how, how do professional artists, because there's art people that are making a living. boatloads of money many from of their them. art, many, yeah. many people. I mean, of course, it's harder than you know take, getting a business degree or something, or an economics degree, but there is a way, there's a path to make yeah. money. There's a career there. Yeah. And I didn't explore it because I don't think I was encouraged. And so it's not the Do you think that's not one human fault. being's fault, or do you think that's a cultural I don't think fault? it was the fault of my parents. I think it was a more of a cultural generational thing. Right. That our parents were told, hey, to be good parents, you kind of boost your kids' self-esteem up and you you know, make them they can be believe they can be anything that they want to be, and you just tell them they're great because they tried really hard. But when it came to like actually making that a career, making that viable, that's where I think that generation of, of parents and adults kind of fell through. And, <laughs> you know what? And, and as a society, we're yeah. failing in that still. Yeah. That that we're still failing because we have this mistaken belief in this innate ability that if you don't make it at some point to to this this pinnacle of success or you don't outshine everyone else just because of your natural abilities then you might want to give up that thing that was a you know interesting hobby or, or side thing or talent that you were doing and right we're anchored to the phrase he slash she is a natural we're like really hooked to that oh yeah he's a natural oh, she's a natural from from freaking birth, from the moment you're crawling to walking. Shoot, I do it with my buddy David and his newborn kid. Oh wow, he's like already saying hello. That must mean like already we're already we're labeling yeah. and we're qualified. Oh, he's such a good artist. Oh, she's such a at one, singer. not even one years old. At like five months, it's like oh wow, David, look at how he smiles when you turn on Bach or Mozart. You know, he must be a classical fan. Like he's five months old. Isn't, and, what, <laughs> and we're already what labeling. Be, what would be the the what would be the difference if we would say, "Wow, that kid tried so hard." Right, right, right. right. Look at the effort that person look put in. Look at the effort. Look or, at the passion that person had. Look at the had potential there. Anything like look look at the passion in that kid. Like passion separate from vocation. Passion separate from activity. Look at how passionate this person is. We are so impressed by your passion and your hard work. And I'll give an example of failure um, that I went through too. So when I was in college, yeah. I at first went in and I didn't really think about all of the types of study skills I would need, what types of supports I would need. I kind of decided when I went into college, you know, I'm just going to go out at this on my own. I'm going to stop taking medication. I'm going to not really put, put together the disability resources package and give those forms to my teacher. I kind of intentionally decided not to do that because I, w I wanted to see if I could make it on my own. I want, had this independent spirit of, hey, I'm going to just go headfirst into this and see what happens. And then what ended up happening is I got caught up in a lot of stuff. I got caught up in a lot of social distractions. I got caught up into some partying. I got caught up into mm. not studying, procrastinating, not managing my time well at all, not eating well, not sleeping well. Mm. all sorts of things that a lot of ADHDers experience. And I remember I I ended up getting like a 1.5 GPA that my second semester in my sophomore year. Okay. And 
I was on the brink of academic probation. I was at that point where I had to, you know, pull it together. And Shape up or ship out. Yeah, and I ended up the next semester, I was trying to make some changes, but I still didn't know how, and I was reluctant to ask for help. I was reluctant mm. to figure this out and, and know where to go to figure well, this we out. We had to circle back to reluctant and, to ask for help, but continue going. And I ended up, um, I ended up like having to withdraw from that semester. So my first semester of sophomore year, I just withdrew and lost a lot of credits, lost time. And that was a big failure. And I even remember I missed my biology final because I was so okay. unorganized. It was a midterm or something. I think it was a midterm. I missed the midterm. I, I Instead of like, like writing it down, having a schedule, Yeah. I completely just missed it. I, I forgot when it do you was. Remember what, do you remember what you were doing? I don't when you missed it. I, uh, no, I don't remember exactly, but I remember I didn't mean to. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. I right. felt like such a right. failure in that moment. I was. What like, did you learn from that? Well, I learned that in the moment, of course, I said to myself, God, what's wrong with me? Like, like, why do I always do this? I'm so, like, forgetful. And, of course, my natural ADHD tendency at the time was to tell myself, you know, I'll just, like, move on, forget about it, just keep going forward blame it on something else, blame it on the yeah. teacher. Why didn't the teacher yeah. say something more as the midterm was approaching? Or who knows? I was going to try and just put it off onto something else. Right. Um, but I think looking back, what I learned from that experience later on, I learned that I had a choice to how I internalized that failure, Great. what I did from there. And what I ended up doing, and it took a number of months and even years, to really apply this and to mature in my thought process. Mm. I had to figure things out the hard way. And I, what I figured out was that I could, I could decide what's not working in what I'm doing, in my study habits, in my organization, my time management, what's not working mm. and how do I kind of help myself figure those things out? Where do I go? Do I talk to a teacher? and ask for help and go in their office hours and create a plan with them? Do I learn from my friends and form study groups? I had to learn that stuff the hard way. Right. When I started doing that and I started reaching out and I started coming up with more strategies and figuring stuff out and using like, you know, Google Calendar and a planner and those kind of things to help myself, that's when stuff started to turn around. But I think that the big thing that, that also shifted that was my own internal process and mindset of how I was internalizing those setbacks instead of blaming someone else pointing the finger or looking looking for other reasons or excuses why that thing happened I started taking responsibility and I started doing it in a not a negative way or a way that was like beating myself up about it but I started looking at it in a proactive constructive way what can I do about this now? Right. What are, now that this happened, yes, it happened. It sucked. But now what can I do? Right. No, <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. I even have like a, a recent story this week that happened. Oh, yeah. So I, I, have, I was on my way to a client's house and mm -hmm. I'm redecorating the office. And I am carrying my mug of, of smoothie, my coffee. Okay my bag for work and I'm having my wife help me because she's also carrying my <laughs> something else for me and I'm loading this I have over my shoulder I also have this carpet like for the office and I'm trying to blow this into the car so I put my smoothie down I put the coffee down and then I you know load in the carpet yeah and guess what what all of a sudden I look to the front seat the carpet had hit the smoothie as I was loading it because I didn't uh, see it. And I had smoothie all over my front seat. And I had about not a huge window to spare here. I had about 15 minutes, I had about like five to 10 minutes before, you know, I really need to be on the road or else I was going to be super late. And I had to sit there with like towels, you know, and paper towels <laughs> trying to clean up this smoothie. Real talk. Did it you scream sucked. at first? Did you curse? Or were you like internal sigh like, darn, 
and like went inside and started cleaning. Like how much time was I, there? Of I that wish five I was, to ten. I wish I was like super zen and mindful in the moment. And it was like, <laughs> oh, this is I accept that this is what happened. But I've, this is a learning experience. No, but I was like, I was like, and I just, <laughs> yeah, it was it it upset me. Right. But yeah. What I did in that moment, okay, was I told myself, all right. I went through this thought process and this is something I developed over time, which is all right, this happened. Yeah. This is where we're at. Yeah. This is what's going on. I can't change the fact I just spilled a smoothie. Yeah. So I can I can get upset about it. I can, you know, curse. I can stomp my feet, whatever I'm gonna do, but I can't change the fact that this already occurred. So what is my option here? Yeah. My option is to make the best of the situation. So what I decided to do, well, it still upset me. I still felt it. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to clean this up the best I can. I'm going to get moving to my appointment. I still just set the paper towel down on top of it. And I'm like, I'll get the rest of this later. Continued on to my appointment. I ended up hitting some traffic, which, again, pissed me off a little bit. Oh, dude, that's but to interject I, for a moment. That's my favorite when you've gotten over the yeah. anger. Like, you were like, okay, I'm zen. And then, like, 10 minutes later, there's another thing. And clearly, you haven't done all the legwork earlier because, like, a little thing makes you, like, slap the steering wheel. And you're like, I am still angry. <laughs> yep. Oh, here you go. <laughs> Here's I've your done, next I've challenge. Been there, I've been there so often. And usually, it's the second time that I have a little outburst within 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, you need to really calm down. Like, <laughs> What else? What else is life going to throw at you? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But what ended up happening, which is interesting, is so I went in and I met with my client. And yeah. that day my client told me how he was really beating himself up. And that was actually the, the topic of our conversation was how did he how does he deal with the self-perception of negativity? And, yeah. and how does he deal with some difficult things? Because he's always making some mistakes yeah. in his personal life. And he had like forgotten to pick up his daughter from the bus from her summer program and she was waiting out there and she was crying and she had tears in her eyes she's like daddy i thought you forgot me or you left me and he felt super bad about it and in that moment i had i had this revelation of saying you know i'm i'm gonna share the story of what i just went yeah. through this morning yeah and tell him because obviously i could have i could have covered it up or i could have you know, told him, well, it was just traffic or something. And sometimes that is what we have to do in life. We do have to just kind of say, well, it was traffic and then deal with things on our own to be professional. But yeah, what I did was I decided to be vulnerable and to yeah. share that story as a learning opportunity and to say, yeah. you know, we all are dealing with stuff like this. We all are imperfect. Things happen to us all the time. Yeah. And one thing I told him is that ADHD mistakes are inevitable, but how we react to them is yes. not. Yes. So we're always going to have that ADHD yeah. stuff that happens. But our it, own reactions, that's the thing we can control. Yes. If I may, mm -hmm. and sorry I keep interjecting, I've been dying to, to correct something in a way. I think... Earlier in this episode, I got bogged down in trying to find a specific example of a failure, but you've just nailed the, the more important point, which is that there will, it's not about the specific one that I learned from, actually. I don't think audiences will get the most um, information from an anecdote about a time I failed. I think what's more important here is that you will fail. We will all fail. There, You will fall. I, had, I, can, I can think of virtually every outdoor activity I've ever tried to learn, whether it be martial arts, skateboarding, snowboarding, you name it. I've had good coaches who have said, you're going to fall. You're going to get hurt. It is inevitable. Do you want to be good at this? The response was, yes, of course I do. And then their reaction was, you are going to get hurt. This is skateboarding. You're going to hurt your butt sometimes. You're going to fall, right? This is martial arts. You're going to get into a sparring match with somebody and get a bruise. Like you're going to get hurt. If that's a stopping point for you, then you need to leave. Then, or, or you need to go home, self-reflect and come back unafraid and confident that that's part of the journey. It, it's not about will you or won't you fail. And now we've got a tech industry where venture capitalists, massive angel investors are stressing this. They're, they're investing in companies that have already failed, sometimes marvelously, lost all their money 
But why are they investing in those companies? Because they learned. They learned huge, valuable lessons from failing, from, pardon my language, but fucking up, right? You got to, you have to fall to then pick yourself up and, and learn from that fall, right? Some of our obvious examples are athletic because it's so tangible, it's so obvious. You know, that yeah. person didn't hit the ball the right way or didn't or didn't throw a punch the right way or didn't, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and, then, and then they tweak that. They tweak their golf grip and then suddenly the swing is perfect. That is what we're getting at, but on a, but on a more personal and a deeply emotional way. When you, when you fail to pick up your daughter, when you didn't study for the midterm or you missed the midterm, right? Because you didn't schedule it well enough or you forgot your scheduling or what have you. Yeah. We will have an emotional response, right? My Nana was a child adult psychologist and she used to take the word reaction out of our conversations when I was young, which I loved. She would say uh, um, what I just said, you, you have a response, right? So there's an emotional response, which in, in, in sweeping terms, you can't control the, in, the involuntary emotional response, for instance, to someone jumping around a corner and saying, boo, right? You may, right? You have a startle response. You have yeah. a startle response. But every action after that, for most of us on the planet, we have varying degrees of control. And it's usually a lot of control or a lot more than you think yes. over how you react. So we have misappropriated the term reaction to be like going <gasps> when you someone says boo, but that's not the case. The reaction is how you act in response to your emotional feeling. If someone says something and I'm angry, I'm angry. How can I react? I have so many options. I can let it, I can let it roll off me. I can forgive them. I can forgive myself. I can punch them. I can scream at them. I can run around the front yard naked yelling, I hate humans, right? Or I hate everyone. Those are all choices that I have. Exactly. But we grow and learn through failing, through feeling upset, through feeling frustrated, through experiencing these challenges. We learn how to best react, how to most productively and most efficiently react. Yes. And what, it's how it's how we fail. It's how we fail. Yes, we fail. It's yes. how we fail. Exactly. And then how we react to that failure or to that strong emotional state that happens in the moment when we make a mistake, when we mess up, when we fuck up, when we said something, did something that upsets someone else. That's that opportunity for growth. And it, yep. yes, that's cheesy. The opportunity for growth, or or you know your opportunity, your learning opportunity. That's a bit of a cheesy phrase, but it's so true. Like, if we really think about it, that momentary separation between that voluntary reaction and the involuntary emotional state that you're in or Correct. feeling, that state, yes, you can feel anger, right? And even, the, even the, the best monks out there, the ones that have had 20 years of practice or something, or 30 years of practice, a whole lifetime of practice, right. it's not that they don't feel anger or... A, a be, they're upset by something you just don't visibly see it because they're sitting with that reaction they're noticing that reaction letting it walk and by they're letting it they're letting it happen because they know they know that every emotional state just like every situation is impermanent it's mm -hmm. temporary mm -hmm. that you can let it pass and what you do with it is totally up to you you can't control whether or not it happened anymore because it's the past what happened in the past has already happened can't change it can't control it can't go back and do it again but what you can choose to is how do you deal with it now do you make someone's life worse do you make your own situation worse by escalating it do you choose to act in a violent angry hostile uh, manipulative whatever other way that's going to be detrimental to your own health and well-being or other people's health and well-being or do you choose to intentionally act with, with kindness, concern, compassion, self-compassion, compassion for others, and decide that what's best for me yeah. is to keep a level head, to look at my options, and then once I'm outside of this strong emotional state, maybe I'm filled with rage or anger, is it the best time for me to decide what to do, how to shoot, shoot off that email to my boss? Mm. Probably not. You know, I got that right. bad grade on the test. Is it is that the time when I should confront my teacher? And 
I'll, I'll give you one last example here yeah. of like yeah, yeah, yeah. when I did this in school. I I had one of my favorite teachers, Miss Winter. She was my English teacher growing up. I had her for a few years. In oh, we've talked about Miss Winter only because yeah. both of us loved our high school English teachers. Yeah. And she, I remember she, I tried really hard on this paper. Yeah. And I was really proud of it. And then I turned it into her. I think it was like a book report or something. And then I turned it into her, I get it back, and it was a B plus. Which you're, you're like, hey, that's pretty good. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. But for me, I was like, this is my favorite class I put. Every single ounce of who I am into this paper, I tried right. really hard, harder than I tried anything so far. And I really wanted that A. I was like, and I thought in my mind, this is an A paper. This is an A plus. This deserves because of the sheer amount of effort. So actually, I was pissed. I, mm. I wasn't happy. I wasn't like just upset. I was really, I felt this like extreme anger. Like I was like, what did I do wrong? What else could I have done? Right. Why don't I have this? I a thought I plus? put everything into this. Yeah. What the all of hell? it? And I was so upset. Yeah. And, and I remember I went home. I showed my dad the paper. We went into the hot tub because we used to have these conversations in the hot tub. And I told my dad, you know what? I'm going to go in there tomorrow. I'm going to confront this teacher. I'm going to like throw this paper down the desk. I'm going to be like, okay, look. You marked this off. You marked this off. What did you, you know? And I was going through all these reasons why I deserved an A. And he's sitting there listening to me. And he's like, okay, yeah, all right, Aaron. And then he said to me something. And he's got, he goes, but I thought she was your favorite teacher. And you guys have a really good relationship, right? And he's like, is it worth it over a B plus for you to destroy that relationship and, and mm. confront her in this manner? He's like, mm. I really seriously want you to think about that and yeah. decide what to do. And I, he's like, I I want you to take some time and to not just react in this way. And at first I was like, oh, psh, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. I know, like I was a teenager, right? So I'm like, you know what you're talking about. I could go in, I, it's been fine. Like, But then I thought about it, right? I went, <laughs> I thought about it later that night. It only takes up, one calm it only takes one calm authoritative voice to to get the gears turning whether or not i ended up the next day going into her and it worked out fine because i i went in and i instead of confronting her about it i just went up and i told her in a calm way that i had really tried and and i asked you know what could i do differently next time on this next paper to really get right angry. because your genuine upsetness was being channeled as anger you were projecting that shock and and upsetness as anger but once you strip away the anger which is such a which is such a first line of defense emotional state like we can do a whole episode and we will yeah. on my on my note for anger just being angry right it's such a first line it's the surface emotion right when in reality, what you were feeling was way more complex. It yeah. was self-doubt. It was self-defeat. It was it was disappointment, disappointment in yourself. But also, you had this rapport with this person, so probably embarrassment because you put up you put a lot of work into that, mm -hmm. and because you like this person, you like this class, and then you didn't quite get there, so embarrassment's in there. So really, those are all the colors on the color wheel of where you were at when you walked in. Finally, cooled off. To say, hey, I you know I was gonna come in here and yell a lot, but really I'm just sad. I'm just upset. Like please, please explain what I can do better next time. And I'm yeah. going to assume she did. And and yeah, and I ended up, you know, getting an A in the class and doing better oh, in it later. There you go. Because I handled it in that way. And yeah. I think in the past I would have done the opposite. And I had done the opposite before. Where mm. I had in the moment, you know, cursed out the teacher or went up and slammed the door and said, right. screw this class and ripped up my paper and threw it in the trash. Like, I can't tell you how many times I did stupid things like that or kicked the trash over or kicked the door or something. Right. I was I was a very reactive kid growing up. And it only took the 10th or 11th or 20th time of doing something like that and then realizing that I made a permanent enemy out of that teacher. Or now, right. the, now the teacher's going to show me that they're really in charge and even grade the next one even harder just to punish me for that reaction rather yeah. than it being anything constructive. Of course. And, but in the moment, right, the ADHD mind isn't thinking about that. No. So 
I, I think in terms of how we deal with setbacks, how we deal with disappointments, how we deal with failures, the the main point that we're trying to get across here is these things are inevitable. They're going to happen. Yeah. Everyone fails. And the greatest people out there are the ones that fail the most, but are the most consistent about how they deal with failure. It's almost like a math problem. If you've been in the game that long, that you are an icon, no matter what it is. You have failed the most out of your arena, in your arena, but gotten back on the horse every time, every single time. One to one failure and get back up ratio, right? right? It has learn, to be. Learn from it. Yeah. Adopt some strategy to change, get back in the zone. You can't. No. You can't play a game from the bench. If you bench yourself, to bring a sports analogy, if you sit yourself oh, yeah, the game yeah, yeah, yeah. and bench yourself, there's no way you're going to ever score a goal if you're I'd, sitting on the bench. I had a skateboarding coach who used to say if you psych yourself you get, out. Yeah, yeah, but if you get up you and get do back it. in the game. Drop in. And no matter if, if you miss that last shot or you messed up and you missed the game-winning shot, there's going to be another opportunity. And the next time around, you're gonna get it, yeah. Or you're, or you're more likely if you're back at it and you go and you and you're playing. And if you're sitting out, there's no way you can make that game winner shot the next time if you're sitting out. Now, people think of like, like we said, Michael Jordan before, but it's like, I know, like, how many three point shots or game winning shots did he miss? Oh God. Way more than they made. I mean, like, look at the baseball ERA, right? Like, how many but how many times remember, you hit versus not hitting? It's but, astronomical. Well, <laughs> we remember yeah. the one time. Yeah, when of course. You, did. you yeah. remember that one time in the finals, or it's like the final second, the clock down, it's, the countdown is here. Oh, the shot goes up and Jordan saves the game. Yeah. That's the thing we remember, and that's the thing that we gravitate towards as a society. But that's not the reality. The reality is how many times did he shoot and miss and shoot and miss? And I think there miss? was an article on this. I don't know if it was for Michael, but like a a short little observation of exactly this, of, of a basketball player who made the game-winning shot versus the same number of, of game-winning shots he didn't make. Yeah. I think I think you're right on the money. And it was like totally different. It was wild. It was like, oh, he didn't make five five hundred and he made ten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it was crazy difference. And it was like, yeah, but of course you remember the the championship NCAA or the championship NBA game where they made the shot. But happened all those times they didn't. Just didn't, because that's life. And there's a hundred games a year or whatever it is, you know. Um I kind of want to do something weird or suggest it. Maybe we should have our audience members write down or just encourage people to write down their top like top three or just three times that they failed and got back on the horse. And maybe you and I can do that as well and put it online as like a blog, like a mini blog post. Yeah. Just like three times, three times of when we failed and then we got back on the horse and it, and it worked out. You know, like where we and and try and and not focus too much on sometimes someone said said something to you, but more well, like when you forgot to, to go to the midterm and how you turn that around. Yeah, how about the top failures that have taught you something? Great, exactly so that. The the top failures, let's say the top three failures in your life could be recently, could be past, but stuff that you feel are the top three examples of where you learned something. And, it, and you grew from it. You might have not felt that way. Well, that's why I was suggesting it. removing top, just three, because it could be recent or like big ones. I, and, and correct me if you think if you think that's incorrect, but I, I'd, I'd say like just list three times recently or that you learned something from a failure. Yeah, and how when how you responded to it, how it made mm -hmm. a difference. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think that'd be cool. And we'll, I think and we'll, we can post it online or. Yeah, maybe do a follow-up episode or something where we share some of those examples. But I think that I think that'd be fun, and awesome. and it's we we and I'm happy that we are the carrying the torch because this we need to be okay with failure. So continue to fail, everyone. Yeah, it's okay because we're all doing it. We all fail. 
Yeah, go fail and fail learn like something. Us. Fail like us, yeah. right? Fail like, fail like a champion. Fail like a champion. Yeah, Hell we need you to fall like a professional, okay? Fall and know how to fall. Yeah. Fall on your ass really well. Yeah. And then get your ass back up. Yeah. Get on the field. Okay. And then start succeeding again. Okay. Like you know you're going to. Yeah, I know I'm going to. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. I'm ready, man. Let's do I'm it. I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna get back out right now. Game, I'm gonna fall over right now. I'm All right, gonna, do I'm it. Gonna, I'm gonna do fall it. Fall over do right it. now. Yeah. Oh. I'm just kidding. Although I did pull my headphones out of the thing. <laughs> How much equipment are we gonna break right now? <laughs> Can, cannot hear anything you just said. <laughs> the headphones came out during the standing part, but I think we'll just end right before I jump. <laughs> Got to go full tilt, Bozo, because you're only giving a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. Hey, attention.